Well, Revelation 15. And as you remember, we sort of go into something and we sort of come back and take an aspect of something we covered and, and talk about it a little bit more. And then we head forward and then come back. And so we, it's not a nice chronological order the way we would do in the Western culture. And so we have uh, been taking little bits and pieces uh, where we saw the, the, the Antichrist having power over believers and uh, putting them to death and so forth. And uh, at times it seems like there's no believers that are alive. And then we come back and we realize, nope, nope, there's still some alive. Um, and, uh, and then there's these little uh, pictures along the way of, of what's taking place, whether it's uh, with the Roman Empire or Babylon or the Day of Judgment or the Bowls of the Wrath or whatever. And then it backs up and explains it more fully. And so actually tonight in Revelation fifteen sixteen, we're going to hit on some parts and you're going to go, wow, that's interesting. And the description is, is there, but not as, as clear as I would like. Well, hang on, because actually the next two and a half chapters uh, are going to take many of these aspects and go into much more detail on them. So here in chapter 15, the really short chapter, just a few verses. It says, I saw another sign in heaven and a great and marvelous seven angels having seven last plagues. For in them, the wrath of God is complete. This word in the Greek for wrath is only used 11 times in the New Testament. And 10 of the 11 times is right here in the book of Revelation. And, and this word, um, thymos, it, it means um, volatile. It means passionate anger. It's, it's personal. It's, it's not a, um, an anger exacting. It's an anger that's, that's just boiling over with a passionate, uh, calculated, but a passionate aim. Uh, you know, people often ask this. Number one, most asked question by non-believers, and you can, uh, I taught it several times as I teach through the New Testament, but you can go to the book of Genesis right there in chapter one. I, I have, I answer that. I have notes with it and everything. And the question is this, you know, there's the same question, but asked many different ways. But the question normally asked is, if God is all-powerful, and all loving, then why doesn't he stop evil? And it basically says the Christian God doesn't exist because if he is all-powerful and he doesn't stop the evil, then he's not all-loving. But if he's all-loving and he doesn't stop the evil, it's because he's not all-powerful. But because evil is happening and growing, getting worse, and, and it's it's sadistic and, and, and if there really is a God of love who has all power and could stop it and he's not, he's not a God of love or he's not a God of all power. There's no reason it wouldn't stop and stop now. And the, there is an answer. There's a very clear answer and, and I teach on this, have notes with it. I, I can't go into all the things. It's, it's really healing. As a matter of fact, all religions... If you look at the beginning of those religions, they really start answering, which start trying to answer that question. And by trying to answer that question, it's why they have many of the aspects of their religion. And out of all the religions in the world, there's only one that answers it in a logical way that, that in any way makes sense, and that's Christianity. All the other ones, if you look at their explanations, it's illogical. It can't happen. Um, you know, like a, a, a square circle. <laughs> you can't have a square circle, right? Um, in the same way, in the very description they give it, it, it it's illogical. It can't happen. And I, again, I go into it in my teaching. Uh, there's only one place that answers that question, and that's the Bible. But in essence... To God, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. 
from Adam and Eve, if you look at Jewish history, we're right around 6,000 years. If you look at the Jewish year, it's 5,000, almost 6,000 years. So if to, the, to the Lord, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. It's only been six years that evil's been going on. Or six, you know, six days, excuse me, six days. Um, because it's been about 6,000 years. And it's interesting too, because seven is the number of completion. So it would make sense that God, at the end of the sixth day, would cease everything and stop and then your seventh day would be a thousand year millennial reign and a day is a thousand years a thousand years a day and the millennial reign of peace that after the tribulation period is a thousand years a day of peace um so there's some interesting things but i just want you to clearly understand god is all loving god is all powerful god hates evil he is going to stop it it's not a matter of if, it's simply a matter of when. And I I got a favor for you. Your your watch is beautiful, but it's right in my eyes. I think, thanks. Yeah, right there in the blue shirt, watch. He's like, get me, thanks. Um, So, I don't know. I know you weren't doing it on purpose, but was there like a dot on my face or anything? No, okay. Anyway, um, you would have been up here and would have thought somebody was going to sniper me, right? John, you would have taken care of me. So, did you guys hear about this last Sunday in New Mexico? A guy with a knife. Um, it was in a Catholic church in New Mexico. Jumped over four pews and tried to kill somebody in the choir. So, it is dangerous to have choirs um, in churches. And I... <laughs> You know, it's better just not to go to a church with a choir if it really upsets you to that degree. But anyway, it was, sort, it was really horrible. People got stabbed. And, but uh, anyway, crazy things happen. That's why, that's why as Christians we watch and pray. Keep one eye open when we pray. So all these, all these things. You're intelligent. That's why I give you these things on Wednesday nights. And uh, so the wrath of God is coming, guys. And it is coming, and God desires it. As as you think about it, God cannot be loving without justice. We cannot live eternally as a complete person unless judgment has been completely served upon every wrong word, action of everyone. You think about it, you can't close the chapter and move on until judgment has been taken place. And when you really start looking at these things and realizing it, and you start reading the Bible, you, you realize God is so amazing, and, uh, and he's going to close the chapter on justice and on judgment. And we're getting to see it here right now. And it says here that the wrath of God is, notice complete. This word complete in the Greek, I won't try to enunciate it, but it means to reach an end or an aim. So God's wrath is going to reach an end. It's going to reach its aim. So God is a God of justice, of judgment, of anger, of wrath. And just because the Hitlers of the world didn't get what the Hitlers deserved, you know, he does all his evil and then he commits suicide and dies peacefully. And you say, well, it wasn't very just. That wasn't, we didn't get our judgment fulfilled in that. Understand, it never does. Man can never produce the accurate wrath that needs to come upon men. We can't do it. That's why in James it says, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We can't do it. Partly because we're doing it. Partly because it needs to be far longer. The wrath that God's going to bring upon people is going to be eternal. Eternal. 
It's not, you know, we often look and we, we see this horrible, evil person who did these, I mean, running put things in your mind. But it's like, hold it. They don't, they, they don't need, need to be killed, shot, and it's over with. They need to be tortured a while. Well, how long? What kind? And, and you, man tries to exact, you know, uh, primitive cultures in particular, you know. How, you know, how are we going to do this, you know? We're going to skin them. We're going to, you know, surgically pull out parts of them and make them eat it or, well, I don't know, just sadistic things. Man trying to feel like, we, yeah, we judged him, but, and he's guilty, but it needs to be a, a wrath fitting to what his evil was. And you walk away feeling it wasn't quite enough. Or now it's messed me up because I had to be a part of it. And so I'm not clean now. Somehow in the process of getting judgment, I myself need to be judged for it because it wasn't done in the right fashion. There was, it was too personal to me or I got too much into it or I became sadistic from it or now I have nightmares the rest of my life because of it. Somehow it, it, we can't do it. It really does have to be done by God. And uh, in Romans chapter 12, just listen to this again in verse 17 and 19, quoted from the Old Testament. It says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. For if it's possible, it depends on you. Live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but, ra- but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, we need to allow this person to have the full brunt of God's wrath. And God has says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And in essence, God is saying, whatever part of you taking on the wrath aspect, the justice or judgment, excuse me, not justice, judgment part of the aspect, I am going to do less. So what really should have happened to that person is now not entirely going to happen to that person because I'm calculating that part of it was you and part of it's me. And you're going to feel and you're going to sense that because you stepped in and were God trying to, trying to fulfill the completeness of wrath upon this person and then them being judged, God now is going to step back from it to a degree and you're going to have to live with that for eternity. That the full wrath of God is never going to happen because you hindered it. And uh, so there's some really interesting aspects to look at this and, and to talk about this. Um, C.S. Lewis, he has a book and it's under many different names. But if you have not read it, you should read it. But under one of uh, the titles, it's called The Problem of Pain. Um, and uh, it's his wife died of cancer, and there's a movie uh, made on it. Movie doesn't do justice at all to the book. But uh, he goes through and explains things that are just absolutely brilliant on some of these areas. And uh, in so explaining it, he, you really do walk away and realize we do have to have justice. We do need to bring about judgment. But if we do not recognize that when we are doing justice and judgment, we are handing, we are simply saying, we are, we are doing what we're doing to you now to protect the safety of society. And man is safe on earth, but we are now committing you eternally into the hands of God where wrath will be given by him for eternity if you don't repent. And, uh, and if man doesn't do that, man himself becomes a tweaked person because there's that sense of vengeance they hang on to. And of course, you always hear this where the guy does the vengeance. You know, he goes and, you know, castrates the guy who raped his sister or whatever, or he goes and kills the guy who killed his family member or whatever. And the first thing they always say is, it didn't help at all. I'm just as angry. 
I feel like I'm, I still have vengeance. And it, wasn't, it didn't uh, even begin to, to, to help me with these, these feelings of, of the sense of vengeance on that, that person. It didn't help. And because we can't. It's something that's God's. And so now, if you would, God, for all the span of, of time, has been saying to man, here's how you put together a society. The, 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 if you punish evil for evil to the degree it's, it's to be punished, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, if, if the punishment fits the crime, and it's quick, you will have a society that will be safe, that will be enjoyable, and where, where evil is suppressed and good is elevated. That's, that's, all, you can, that's all we can do. So it, it's in the heart of, of every one of us, but it's in the heart of some more than others to want to do evil. And, and you, you basically say, man, that guy, he beat me up, you know, in PE class in 10th grade and and, uh, you know, I saw him in the street the other day, and I'm still mad at him from 10 years ago, beating him up, beating me up in front of his girl, in front of my girlfriend. And, man, I just really want to kill him. And you start thinking about it. And in our today, and in, in our culture, and in many cultures today, much worse than ours, it's like, okay, first of all, they got to catch me. Then they got to make sure they do all the technicalities exactly right. Then it goes to court. And then I got to get, a, you know, 12 people to unanimously agree I'm guilty. And then if I do, uh, they're going to give me, you know, second degree, 15 to 25 years uh, in prison. Good behavior. I could be out in seven, eight years. And so they, they, they're trying to say, I, I want this evil suppressed. But yet the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And thus, the evil's not suppressed. There's too many odds I can get away with it. Worst case scenario, I'm out living my life after seven years. It's worth it to me. It's still horrible if I get caught and go to prison, but it's worth it to me to go ahead and do that. And plus, you know, I'll be out in bail for years and, you know, whatever it is, it, it, it has to be equal. And there's many horrible crimes that is making man feel unsafe in his own house doesn't feel safe to let your kids, you know, at six o'clock, you know, go down a block to visit his friend, uh, you know, run down there and visit him. Why? Because we're not doing that. And, and now today, in the name of freedom and the name of a lot of things, they're wanting to lower it still. Let's start making things that are illegal, not illegal at all. Marijuana, not making it illegal at all. Prostitution, not illegal at all. Gambling, it's already happened. Um, and so what happens in, in all of these various things that are not healthy for this society, sin, according to Scripture, but even if you don't say it's sin, it's still an unhealthy way for families to, to be strong and grow and flourish. I mean, if people are having relationships with prostitutes, they're not going to have a good, strong marriage. And their hearts are not going to be towards your children. They're going to, they're going to be thinking uh, much more on sex than they should. And it's going to become an obsession with them. Um, in the same way with gambling, um, drugs, alcohol, all of these things take away from a healthy family. Um, and so if we don't punish those things and the punishments don't equal the crime, then we're not going to have a good society. And the farther we get from that, the, the, the less likely you want to live in that society. And if you look in the world in the last 200 years, let's say, and you say, if I had a choice, my top five choices of countries to have been born into, you know, for sure, America would be on everybody's list. I don't care where you live in the world. I don't care if you're the king of some part of the world. You still wish you would have, mar- would have been born in America. And basically, you look at it, we were a country that's been more closely than any other country living by the Judeo-Christian ethic. Now, people are rewriting history, and they're trying to say that's not the case. We never did. Um, it's a lie. We, we were following the Bible, guys. Our three different parts of our government, uh, how we, 
would punish criminals or how we ran our military. These things came uh, from the scriptures. And then uh, the next countries are those in the same that were once a uh, living in the Judeo-Christian ethic. And, you know, they started wandering from that. So we are a post Judeo-Christian ethic country, and we're really going farther from that continually, and we are less happy. We're less free. We, less, we have less opportunities to prosper. You have a greater chance ending up in jail yourself, um, even though you didn't do something, um, and you have a, a less chance of being safe in places you really should be safe, like your kids in school and, and uh, in your own house or and uh, again, it comes back to that. And so that's, that's what God says to us. So people are often confused. They're like, well, hold it. No, if this guy killed my family member, I need to love them and pray for them and do good to them and bless them. And, 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 and really, my Christian heart should just be to say, I hope they go free. And no, no, you're confusing. You're confusing two separate things. One is your the attitude of your heart towards that person. You want them to be free. You want them to uh, be living the person that God wants them to be living. But on the other side of things, you have to be a citizen. And as a, a citizen in a community, you have to always be for punishment and punishment fitting the crime. It's that, that's, it's that simple. And if it's not fair on whatever aspect, then the society will not prosper. And so we're now looking not at society on earth becoming better. We are now saying, God is saying, I'm coming to bring judgment, justice. He's been doing that. He does that even to this day to some degree upon earth. But now he's bringing his wrath. And if you would, the word vengeance. He is not just simply saying, I'm punishing you for what you did. I am bringing my wrath upon you for eternity. The wrath of God is coming upon all men for eternity unless they believe. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it's what it tells us that the wages of our sin is death and that God has given his only begotten son that we can be saved. And to reject God, to reject the lordship of your life, to reject the gift of his son, the wrath of God abides upon you. Read John chapter three. If we do not get out from underneath the wrath of God abiding upon us, then we are eternally doomed. But it's very easy for that to happen by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. So now we're finally coming to see in Revelation 15 the wrath of God. It's coming and it is complete. And so why isn't the all-powerful, all-loving God stopping evil? He is. That's the answer. When? In his perfect time. Well, it It's been thousands of years. To us, it seems like a very, very, very long time. But the older we live, the shorter time seems. And to one who's outside of time, a thousand years seems like a day. Well, in verse 2, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, we saw this picture earlier. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps, of God. And so we saw earlier where Jesus was on the throne and before him was a glassy sea. Uh, it was still. And now this glassy sea is not still like glass. It's mingled with fire and, and it's uh, in an uproar, if you would. And it's declaring in a, in a powerful way the victory over the beast and all those who are in line with the beast the Antichrist. And in verse three, then they sing the song of Moses. There's several of them, but uh, we uh, sing one of them today out of Exodus 15, one. 
And the servant of God in the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Guys, understand true worship. It's where you just get your eyes completely upon the Lord and you speak of him. And look at this. Your works, your ways, your name, you are holy or your holiness and your judgments. That's worship. And a true worshiper who's seen God and knows God and has come right into the throne of God, it's not about, hey, God, being with you makes me feel real good. And, you know, I'm never happier than when I'm with you. And, and ever since I have met you, I'm smarter now. And it's all about me and, and how my life is feeling better and being better because of you. That's, 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 a, t- that's a type of worship. But if you look at most worship songs today, that's really where they stay. It's about how, God, you've made me feel. And God, how you filled me with your love. And I'm loving now. And, and it's, it's a type of worship. But understand, true worship, and you, you, may, you may wonder, it's like, wow, the songs were cool and things were upbeat. And, and you know, but I didn't really feel like I worshiped. Why? Simply look at that list of songs and look at the words of those songs and ask yourself, did the last two, three of those songs end up just saying, your works, Lord, okay? Great and marvelous are your works. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, it's all about you, and it's all about the Lord. It's all about the Lord, all about Him and who He is, and His titles, and 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 His nature, and His character, and His name. That's pure, pure worship. Well, in verse four, now all who who shall not fear you, O Lord God? <clears throat> excuse me, verse four. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifest. In verse 5 now, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. So if you haven't known, way back in Exodus when Moses was instructed to build the tabernacle, God let him know, you are need to build this exactly as I am telling you because these are exact images of what's in heaven. In heaven, there's a temple and there is the throne of God, the mercy seat. And you're gonna build it. It's gonna be called the Ark of the Covenant. And here how in heaven, there's seraphim sing, uh, flying around singing, holy, holy, holy. So you're gonna put two seraphim on the top of this mercy seat, this Ark of the Covenant facing each other. And, and everything was to an exact replica because it was what it is in heaven. And in Hebrews, it says when Jesus died that he went into heaven and took the blood and put it upon the mercy seat as the high priest on earth would do once a year as he took the blood of the lamb and put it on the mercy seat for the covering of the people. Jesus took the blood and put it on the, the mercy seat in heaven <laughs> not for sins to be covered, but to be taken away forever and ever. And so now he's looking, and we're, if you would, in heaven, in the temple. And in the temple in heaven, notice the the tabernacle there, the temple, the same thing. Out of this temple, in verse 6, comes seven angels having seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, having their chests girded with golden bands. So these angels are enacting the wrath of God for him. And these golden bowls that they have, uh, says in verse 7, the one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. This word for bowl is a very shallow bowl. It wasn't used to to hold stuff in for long. It was just to scoop it up like a shovel, really. It scooped it up and then 
through it. So like you'd scoop up the, the hot coals and, and then you'd put them somewhere else to be used. So they, in essence, have like a, a bowl, but it's just like a shovel. And they're there getting ready to put the bowls of God's wrath upon the earth. Now the temple, verse 8, was filled with smoke from the glory of God. This is the Shekinah glory. When God's presence came, men could not live because the glory of God was too great. When the temple was being dedicated by Solomon, the Shekinah glory was so great, people had to run for their lives. And so the smoke, the Shekinah glory of God, is from his power, and no one is able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were complete. And this is the cool thing we're we're seeing as we look here now as they sang the song to the Lamb. We see Jesus. We see the 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 glassy sea. We see Jesus there in the midst of the glassy sea. We're, we're seeing the Lord raising up now and him bringing it. It says in John chapter 5 that all judgment the Father has given unto the Son, that all would honor the Son equal to how they honor the Father. And so we see Jesus now completely pouring out his wrath. And it's the glory of the Father is Jesus. And Jesus having all power brings glory to the Father. And no one is able to now come into this temple, not even the heavenly beings, until these angels complete the wrath of God. In chapter 16, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So as we're going to go on here and look, we're going to see that, like for example, all drinkable water on the earth is destroyed. <laughs> and man can't live but a few days without water. So we're, we're looking at something here in chapter 16 that really is just the last few days of the seven-year tribulation period. Um, but then we're going to pull back in the next chapters, and we're going to pull back closer to the three-and-a-half-year mark uh, and seeing some wrath and seeing the, the development of the, uh, Babylon and so forth. But right now we're just in the last few days uh, and going to see the full destruction of Babylon, of water, of all living creatures and so forth. So anyway, again, it's not trying to be in chronological order. It's trying to give you uh, the sense of, of how God desires us to, to see it and to fill it. And so in verse 2, the first went and poured out his bowls upon the earth, and the foul and the loathsome sores came upon men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. So, number one, incredible sores, but it only came on those who had the mark 666 and those who worshiped the Antichrist. And then the second one, in verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowls on the sea, and it became blood as of the dead men, and every living creature in the sea died. Now, again, it doesn't mean it's blood, but it was like blood. It had the look and the texture and the feel, uh, maybe even the smell of blood, not that it was blood. Again, as you look at these, these have similarities to the plagues Moses put upon uh, Egypt. And so as we study through the scripture, we see that certain people are types of what is to come. And so, for example, Pharaoh and his hard heart and his, his uh, hatred towards God and hatred towards uh, the Jewish people is a type or a picture of what the Antichrist would be. And you see how he hardens his heart against God and God hardens his heart and, and then how God destroys him. Uh, in a much quicker scenario. But in essence, now as we get to Revelation, we see that you say, well, why did God choose that plague? Why did God bring, turn the water to blood or give darkness or hell or whatever? Why did he do that? And we realize now it's because it was a, a picture of what God ultimately would do one day to Satan and to all those who followed him. And... Um, and so all the living creatures also died. In verse 4, the third angel now poured out of the bowls of the rivers, springs of water, and they became blood. In verse 5, and I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. So this is something that's so overdue. 
but you're doing it now. And they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. So, guys, it's so important to to just come to terms. There is one God. You are not it. Okay? As it says in Romans, let God be found true and every man a liar. God has always been and always will be. There is only one who is true, and that's God. There's only one who is love and righteous and pure, and that is God. And since he is infinite in knowledge and experience, It would only be natural for us to not get everything he said and everything he does, right? Just like a parent, you, you, you know, some kid that your child's hanging out with wherever wants them to go spend the night with them and, and, and you're just like, mm, yeah, I just don't, I'm not comfortable with that. And they say, no, no, not tonight. Well, why? And you begin to give your reasons. Your kids aren't going to stop and go, oh, thank you for saying no, mom. You are so amazing. True and righteous are your ways. Oh, mom. (laughs) You've lived on this earth 30 30 years longer than I have, and it shows your incredible depth of experience is is setting me free right now. It's just not going to happen, right? In the same way, when we see true judgment without mercy, it's just like, whoa, that's just too much. That's too, that's just too, too wrathful. There should be a little mercy in there or something. And so when God reveals his ways, and this is again why, why God limits what he shares. Because in this world that we live in, Because we're in sinful bodies, good can seem as evil and evil can seem as good. And to a perverted who is, to a person who is evil, even the purest things that 99% of the world would think is pure, would think is still evil. So man's twisted and man's, even those people that aren't twisted, still we cannot see everything as an infinite God, all-powerful, all-knowing would see and here, we're just hearing from God and, and, and it's just saying, it, you know what? This is right. That for the days that are left on earth before these guys die, before you send them into the lake of fire to wrath forevermore, that they would have to spend a, spirit, a series of days, weeks, I don't know how long. The only thing they can drink is something either blood or something very much like blood. And it's them having to drink the blood of what they shed. These prophets, these saints, these chosen people of yours, they, they horribly tortured them and spoke evil of them and, and put them to death. And, and you're making them have to drink blood before you finally send them into the lake of fire with the devil as and angels forever and ever. So I, I don't know what you think of that. I, I don't know what I think of that. I'm just looking at it, reading it, processing it, and I don't get it completely. It doesn't, it doesn't cause me to think, wow, I like that. That, that really feels good to me. Too. I don't feel that way. I'm just, uh, okay. That's God, you're God. You made this place. You made everybody. It's your field, your bat, your ball, your rules. Let God be found true and every man a liar. You're now bringing wrath. You've held off. You've shown mercy, mercy, mercy. We saw in the last chapter, God sends an angel throughout the world preaching the gospel. (laughs) You know, he he empowered the 144,000. He had the two witnesses. He had all these people in the tribulation people and the tribulation period. And now he has an angel to make sure everybody again has a chance 
in the middle of the tribulation period to, to repent and be saved. And God just mercy. And just, God's crazy in mercy. It is mercy, mercy, grace, grace. And then there's a point where God says, I'm going to shut it off. There's a point. There is going to be no mercy. There is going to be no grace. There's going to be just pure justice, judgment, wrath without any else. And it's going to be hard for us to process. And we're looking at this now. And in verse 7, I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel now, verse 8, poured out his bowl on the sun, and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give glory to God. Ah, the amount of times these people have to, to, to receive Christ in the tribulation period is amazing. But I do want you guys to remember Romans chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 2, where the Bible says just by how God created the world, that no man will have an excuse on the day of judgment. Because just the way God made mankind and made creatures and made everything to cause to give life and plants and trees and fruits and vegetables and and the brain and everything, that anybody who says there's not a God or I can't know God or God's unknowable or if what I know about God I hate, whatever it is, there's not going to be anybody that says, man, if I had known you were there, God, if I knew there was a God, if I knew you were a merciful God, you know, I, I would have I would have had a different attitude towards you. And the Bible says just by creation, you should know there is a God. You should know what kind of God. You should know he's a God uh, of, of love, of salvation, of mercy, of forgiveness, just by the way the world's created around us. And uh, it's an interesting thing to look in history and and, and to look at philosophers who, who did become Christians just by creation. Um, Francis Schaeffer uh, realized when he was in his quest for God, you know, he knew by the way things were created, there was a God. But he finally came to terms that since everything is in threes, past, present, future, you know, the, every, everything that's created can't exist unless it's in three, not two, not four, not five, that whoever God was, he would be three. He would be himself, three persons. And so he simply looked for a God of Trinity. And it brought him right to the Bible. And then there was other things that he knew would have to be consistent with God and nature. Since God made nature, Whoever this God is, it would have to be consistent. And that's what we have in our own country. According to our God of nature and nature's God. That's what we say in most courtrooms and today. In God we trust in the courtroom. We, our, our, our nation is filled with that sense of, of what we do needs to be kosher, <laughs> No, 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 that's a good word to use, but didn't mean to. Uh, it has to be kosher with the God of nature. That be the God who created this place. And if we're doing something that doesn't seem consistent with the creator of this world, then we're not in harmony with him. Then he's not going to be in harmony with us. We won't be blessed as a country as we, we want to be. And so that was something continually on the minds of our forefathers who built our country. And so, again, um, these guys have so many opportunities to be saved. On the day of judgment, they have no excuse. And so here again, they will not believe even under incredible torture. Now from uh, the heat of the sun. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out a bowl of the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. So somehow this darkness caused great pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And they did not repent 
of their deeds. Instead of crying out, going, God, forgive me. My heart condemns me. I've been a sinner. I fought against you. And, and here are these supernatural things that the 144,000, the two witnesses, the book of Revelation, 2,000 years in advance, told us would come. It's come. It's, we've read it. We know it. And now it's happening, just as your Bible says. And it's said that my inclination would be not to repent. But Lord, I, I repent. It's not happening. And in verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores and did not repent. In verse 12, the sixth angel now poured out his uh, bowl on, of, of his ink. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up so that the way of the kings of the east, that would be China mainly, might be prepared. The Euphrates River has a great separation between those of the east and is the great separation between the east and the west. Uh, In that day, it was 1,800 miles long, anywhere from 300 to 1,200 yards wide. And its depth is from 10 to 30 feet deep. Now, as we're going to go on and look in Revelation, we're going to discover that Babylon, which is Nazaria, Iraq, has giant ships coming to it and the wealth of the world is flowing out by ships. Which is interesting because Iraq is landlocked. It doesn't have the coast. Remember many years back, Hussein uh, started a war and we ended up fighting because he was trying to get Uh, the country next to him, to be able to have coastlands. So whether the city of Babylon, or this particular city, grows all the way to the ocean, or whether the Euphrates River is re-dug out and remade somehow to be this giant river for giant ships, it's very possible. Uh, Things are going to change, but this river being there is a great hindrance from all of these millions, hundreds of millions, excuse me, hundreds of millions of people, maybe close to a billion of people when you look at everything east of the Euphrates River trying to get to Armageddon, to Israel, to the Mediterranean Sea there, um, to get all of its tanks and jeeps and everything to get them all the way across. It needs to be dried up uh, in order for that to happen. Well, in verse 13, and I saw this three unclean spirits like frogs coming out in the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out of the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to battle at the great day of the Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief because he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So here he, in verse 13 and 14, he's going to talk much more about this, but he's talking about the final battle, the battle of Armageddon. And before he does, he just stops and he just says, now if you're basically a Christian reading this, and there's the Holy Spirit checking your heart right now, and you're saying, I'm not confident in my salvation. Or maybe you're not a believer here at all. And you're saying, I am not giving honor and glory to God. I'm not a believer. We're going to see later that those who are cast into hell, one of the first on the list is is an unbeliever. And then after that are murderers and rapists and so forth. But God sees unbelievers, people who will not believe the love of the truth, but believe the lie of their own self-righteousness is worthy of eternal damnation. God sees it as you rejecting the crucifixion of his son. As if you're saying Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. Jesus Jesus didn't need to be tortured. Jesus didn't need to come into human flesh. And you're blaspheming by the fact that you don't believe. And so Jesus here now speaks in verse 15. Probably in your Bible, this is all red letters. Jesus is now saying, I am coming as a thief in the night. We see this in Thessalonians. We also saw this in Revelation 3. Turn back there to the church of Sardis. Let's look at this. Because he gives, basically, quotes 
um, passage right out of Revelation 3 to the church of Sardis, where he says, blessed is he who watch, watches and keeps his garments. In, in Revelation 3, verse 1, to the angel of the church of Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. They have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know that hour which I come upon you. You have a few names, even as Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes, he will be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So Jesus is in essence saying to you right now who are reading this. And if you are like the church of Sardis, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. You, you, you're basically, he says, you, you are learning well. The method and the way things are set up. You, you shouldn't be spiritually dead, but you are. The information's there, the spirit of God's there, the passion's there. You need to, to strengthen the little bit of, of hunger for the word, that little bit of desire for prayer that you have, and strengthen that. It's like a fire that's dying. Blow and get the fire going again. And then in verse two, be watchful. That's a term for praying. Come back to having that prayer life again of crying out to God. You know, it's just that simple, guys. It's not complicated. God does not want you to think, Christianity is so complicated and there's so many things to do and there's so many moving parts and there's so many things I gotta oil and tighten up and fix and man, if I were awake 24 hours a day, I still couldn't keep up with all the things that I'm supposed to do to please God. Guys, that's just untrue. What has God required of you, O oh man? <laughs> but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus said in Matthew 11, all you who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke. Big, giant, heavy block of wood they put on oxen to control them. Take it and put it upon you. For my yoke is easy and the burden is light and you'll find rest for your souls. What is it? Learn of me. That's it. Walk with God. What's he required? Love mercy. Be a merciful person. Be just a person who just, you can judge or be critical or be a fault finder or be negative. And no, I'm just gonna be merciful. I'm gonna forgive I'm not going to be critical. I'm not going to be hard on people. I'm just going to be merciful. I love mercy. I love when God has mercy on me. And I'm going to rejoice God's heart by being a merciful person as the Lord my God is merciful. But to do justly, you'll reap what you sow. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. So to realize that we're in a real world and, and things are real, right? And the way they, they are is the way they are. You dads, if you teach your kids the word and raise them up in the way they're to go, you'll later be glad you did it. But if you don't do it, then you're going to pay the consequence of that. And then to walk humbly with your God, that's it. How do we walk humbly with our God? We pray without ceasing and we meditate on the word without ceasing. That's it. You wake up in the morning, cry out to God and just continue to cry out to God in your heart with your mind and sometimes just when your mind's not a part of it, just your soul just churning. There's times where you're meditating the word and you're reading it maybe and you're thinking about it and, and you're studying it and then there's other times where God's just through the day you're bringing it to mind and it's just in your mouth, you're chewing on it, it never leaves your mouth. That's it. And as you pray and as you read the word, you will do it. You'll obey it. You'll do justly. You'll love mercy. You'll walk humbly with your God. It's not complicated. But here we need to stop and to say, is the love of the world, the love for other things, creeping in and choking us out, keeping us from walking 
the way that God would have us to walk now and keeping us ultimately from being given that white robe of righteousness to walk with him. And he says, if you're walking as you're to walk now, your name won't be blotted out of the book of life. And he'll present you before the Father and the angels with great joy. Well, finishing up in verse 16. And they gathered them together in the place called Hebrew Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo, the most fertile land on planet Earth. Then the seventh, we'll go, we're going to talk more about that. And then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came from the temple of heaven and from the throne saying, it is done. And there were noises and thunders and lightnings and there was great earthquake, such mighty great earthquake uh, as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and the great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. It's one of our patriotic songs, isn't it? Glory, glory, hallelujah. And one of the lines of that hymn is right here. And in verse 20, in every isle, island fled away and the mountains were not found. Great hell from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Uh, studying this out, I won't give you the reasons why, but um, they estimate it being well over a hundred pounds each, each hailstone. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hell since that plague was extremely great. I want to end tonight in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 13. In 2 Peter 3, verse 10 through 13, it says this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away in the great noise, and the elements will melt with the fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them shall be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. But I, I want to say this here again. Understanding all of this is happening. In verse 11, 2 Peter three eleven, he says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening. Lord Jesus, come now, come quickly. Maranatha, hastening the coming of the day of our God. So knowing these things are going to happen, judgment's going to come. God's going to bring wrath. What kind of person ought we to be? And this is what the Bible constantly teaches. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be sober-minded and watch and pray. And Lord, we come before you right now because we know as we look at each aspect of you, whether it's in creation whether it's in the cross, whether it's in bringing all things to an end, that you are provoking us to love and good works, that you are stirring us up. We know that the day of the rapture, this tribulation period, it could happen today. And we know looking at the days or days as Sodom and Gomorrah, the days or days of Noah, we are in them and we've been in them for a few decades now. We see Israel as a nation again. And you said when you gather together all of Israel to the nation of Israel again and even talk about them speaking Hebrew. And they are again after not speaking Hebrew for 2,000 years. It's all amazing. It's a miracle. And we see these things have happened in just the last few decades. In the last 60, 70 years, these things now have completed. And you said this generation would not pass away. We know we are in the last days of such a generation. You've given us so many indicators. And it's for us as believers to make sure that we are not shrinking away in shame at your appearing, but we're now abiding in you and being fruitful and taking advantage of 
as many as will believe that they might believe and be brought, that we would be evangelists in season and out of season. But we know these last days are turbulent times for Christians because it's trying to make us cold and make us apathetic and make us worldly-minded. Forgive us, Lord. And if there's any here right now, just uh, the Holy Spirit's pricking your heart just right now. Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me, Lord. Lord, I want to be ready. If you're here tonight and you're not a believer, just cry out. It's that simple. God, I'm I'm a sinner. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Lord Jesus, I believe that you were punished in my place on the cross. Forgive me for my sins. I submit myself to you. I know what you want now, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with my God, to seek you in the word and prayer every day and follow you. I'm here now. I'm walking with you from this day forward. And for all of us, Lord, just to draw nearer to you than we've ever been before, let these scriptures draw us nearer to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. We'll encourage one another. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of the week in Jesus. Bye-bye.